What's going on, y'all? This is Dennis Smith Jr. checking in to let you know that you're listening to Numbers on the Board with Jeff Skin Wade and Bobby Corella. Hello and welcome to Numbers on the Boards, your weekly Dallas Mavericks podcast. My name is Bobby Corella from Mavs.com. Joining me today in studio for the first ever time, I can actually say that we are uh, we are behind the scenes where all the magic happens. He is Jeff Skin Wade. Well, hello there, Bobby. I'm glad we're doing numbers on the boards again, and I'm extra happy about today because we have a legendary Maverick voice joining us. We do, yeah. He's been calling games on for the Mavericks for 13 seasons now. He is one of the biggest Hoops fans, one of the biggest Hoops heads that you will ever find in Dallas. He is the great Chuck Cooperstein. Yeah! Well, 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 greetings from north of the border where there are snow flurries falling and the wind is whipping and uh, it's March the 16th. It probably still feels like it's December 16th. Yeah, so this is real interesting. You guys are on a little East Coast swing there and you got Brooklyn tomorrow night, but you guys were posted up in New York for three days. It was almost like a New York Maverick vacation for you. That worked out really great. It was great because it, it never happens that way for us. I mean, we, there have been occasions where we've had like an off day, a single off day, uh, in New York, but uh, the fact that uh, we actually had like two nights to do something beyond the basketball, and then you know be able to do some other stuff during during the day, it's, it, it was really great. It almost felt like a baseball team. This is what baseball teams do all the right, time, right? Right, we absolutely. Never do this in the NBA, where you know you're, we're in a city generally thirty hours and out, but uh, this was this was really cool. Uh, let, let's put it this way: if, if the schedule had broken for us, and we were doing this in Milwaukee. Uh, would not have been so good. <laughs> Don't badmouth Milwaukee. That's a great town. The only thing is, Coop, I hear uh, New York, it's pretty crazy right now with that Nor'easter and everything going on. It seems like it's not well, a great time to go to Central Park. Well, it, it's always a great time to go to Central Park. And, and, here, and here's the thing, Bobby, as opposed to uh, a lot of other cities, uh, the mass transit in New York is pretty extensive, and you never have to drive if you don't want to. That's a great thing. That okay. is a great thing. You know, another great thing is I want you to explain to all our hardcore Mav listeners what they will find on Instagram or the Twitter if they click on hashtag NBA Eats. Well, uh, this is something that's been in the works for, uh, for a couple of years, uh, basically at the insistence of my very uh, public relations-oriented, brilliant wife, Karen Berlin Cooperstein, uh, who said, you know, you really should, you know, put pictures up and start start a blog, if you will, of the the places you go and eat on the road. You know, and and it's you know it's not this is not like Yelp to go to the you know the top ten restaurants in New York City because uh, Lord knows uh, I probably wouldn't go to any of them because they're probably all French and I don't like French food. <laughs> you know, very very small portions, very overpriced, not a lot of value there. <laughs> but uh, basically, where where do we go? Where do we go on the road? What do we eat? You know, and you might figure out if you follow it some pretty cool places to go eat and. So, uh, so we started it about a you know a couple of months ago, and uh, uh, if, if people go to, to NBA Eats on Instagram and uh, you know and on fa- and on Facebook as well, uh, they'll be able to, to figure out what what I've done, and, and I'm trying to get the other uh, play-by-play guys in the league to participate in this uh, and just uh, you know send us stuff, and we'll post it and uh, and just give everybody in the in the uh, twenty uh, in the twenty-eight NBA cities. Uh, okay, here's what we do, here's where we go, here's where we eat, and you don't have to necessarily spend, uh, you know, $100 uh, a meal in order to do it. 
after following, uh, just checking out your account just now on Instagram, it's just at NBA Eats Coop. Seems yeah. like you had some mighty fine chicken and waffles, and also, oh my quote, goodness. the this best prime rib sandwich you've ever had. The Smith is on Broadway and 27th. That waffle was a potato waffle. That okay. was not your, uh, your, bre- your breakfast waffle. And you had, it was a potato waffle with uh, two pieces of fried chicken and this jalapeno maple syrup that uh, was like, it, it wasn't super spicy, but it was, there was enough heat to let you know it was there. It was spectacular. I mean, not just good, spectacular. And I, I think the fact that you guys were staying in New York for a couple of days inspired Followell because I noticed on Instagram he posted like a poke bowl and well, with a hashtag he, NBA. Well, eats. yeah, he, he's the one guy who goes to New York and orders Mexican food. You know? <laughs> <laughs> God, God bless him for that. I mean, he he, he just cannot get uh, uh, far enough away uh, that uh, Mexican food is not somewhere in the equation. But that picture looked pretty good, by the way. Uh, of, of, of what he did post. Um, but, yeah, you know, Mark and I, I mean, Mark has said, he, you know, he wanted to do it, and he, and he keeps forgetting to, to, uh, to do the pictures. But, uh, you know, now we've, uh, we, we're, we're figuring some things out, and he, he's remembering, and, you know, hey, Skin, you know, when you come with us on the road, too, and you figure out someplace, you can help us out, too. I'm in. Consider me in. I think it's a, I think it's a valiant endeavor, and well, I Skin was up support there. it. I was, man, I was up there for like 17 hours. Not enough to eat. I mean, I basically had a hotel sandwich. You know what I'm saying? It was, it was. Uh, you could do worse than a hotel sandwich. No, in New York. no, no. Yeah, well, and, you and, know what, Bobby? And, and the food, actually, the food in our hotel was very good, by the way. Yeah, the Mavericks never, uh, they never skimp on the traveling budget. It's always no, the nicest they, places. They, they don't. They really don't. Well, Coop, uh, I want to talk about the the current state of the team. You know, obviously, the record's not what everybody wanted. But one thing I do like is I do like, and I want to get your take on this, I like looking out on the floor and seeing Doug McDermott, Harrison Barnes, Nerlens Noel, and Dennis Smith Jr., and those are four lottery picks, 26 and under. I think that's a pretty good thing here in these final uh, you know, 14, 15 games, whatever we have left here. Absolutely. I mean, this is, you know, there is this ongoing battle between those who think the Mavericks should lose every game the rest of the season and and those of us who I think are a little more enlightened, uh, who Shots look fired. at uh, <laughs> you know, playing young guys and watching them develop, and if they fall into a couple of wins, that, that that's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. And in fact, it's probably a really good thing because I don't think fans really understand how hard these guys work and and how much time, effort, preparation to do the little things that hopefully will lead to a lot of big things somewhere down the road. And if you don't win and, and you don't get any reward for all the work you're putting in, I just think it leads to a lot of bad things. And so the fact that they're able to do that and, you know, beat a team like Denver, uh, you know, do what they did the other night in New York and, and kind of buckle down after, you know, kind of a pillow fight first half where the, the Knicks shot nearly 70%. I mean, I don't understand what could be bad about that. I, don't, I, just, I just don't, for the life of me, understand why you wouldn't try to put the best product you can put on the floor every night and, and see where that takes you. you know, and within the concept, in the Mavericks case, of trying to develop players and people that you think might be here in the future. I mean, I'm pretty sure Dennis is going to be here for a long time. 
Uh, Harrison Barnes, I have a feeling, is going to be here for a long time. I got a feeling the Mavericks are in love with Doug McDermott, and they're going to do everything to try to get him back here next year. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with Nerlens. I mean, there's some strange things going on there. But, hey, you know, why not? Go, go check it out. And if they play well, they play well. I think one thing that I see a lot on Twitter, too, is people saying, well, the young guys on the Mavs, outside of Dennis and maybe Nerlens, who's only 23, aren't really that young. Then you think about it and you say, okay, well, Yogi Ferrell's 24, Dorian Finney-Smith is 24, Doug McDermott's 26, I think he just turned 26. Like, that's still really young. Just because they went to college for four years doesn't mean they're not, you know, a young developmental player. It just means that they might be, um, you know, there are different advantages, I suppose. So, like, Gary Harris, for example, is just 23. He's now in his fourth or fifth NBA season. So he's had more exposure at this level at a younger age. But then you look at a guy like Yogi or a guy like McDermott, who spent four years in college. They had four years of college coaching, so they're just more they're, – they're quicker to pick up on coaching, it feels like. They, have, they don't have as much experience at the NBA level, but they have a lot more experience of being coached at a high level. Well, I think that with a lot of these guys, you just have to find the right coach. I mean, seriously, in the right system. Look at a guy – you know, I'll always use the, uh, the uh, example of Chauncey Billups. He was the third overall pick in the draft. He went to Boston. Rick Pitino – Drafted him third and hated him, right? Yeah, hated him. And then he he bounces he bounces around a little bit. He goes to Denver and then he comes to Minnesota and he works with Flip Saunders and and Flip gets his game straightened out. And then he moves on to Detroit and he plays with Rick Carlisle in Detroit and Rick Carlisle helps him get to a different level to where he becomes really Mister Big Shot. Uh, you know, it it that's the best. I mean, that's the best. But it happens all the time. And I'm looking at Doug McDermott here and you know playing in chicago and playing in oklahoma city and in new york you know nobody has really given him you know the the role of they they, they may have given him some minutes but they've never given him the role of you know what you come off the bench we want you shooting yeah he's a gunner you can really shoot and we run stuff that can really enhance what you do and i i think what we're 13 games into the doug mcdermott experience here in dallas i'm sold I'm totally sold, and I think they should be sold, too, uh, on the idea of, uh, let's face it, the Mavericks have not had a guy for a while, maybe since you know 2012 Vince Carter, who can come off the bench and you know he's going to give you 12 to 14 points. Mm-hmm. I mean, every good team has that. And, and, the, and if the Mavericks find that in a guy that's 26 years old, hey, that's great. I mean, that, that helps make your team better. It absolutely does. And, Coop, I want to throw something out there because I was noticing this while we were calling the game, and then I asked him about it, and he pretty much said exactly what I thought was happening. Not that I watched every Oklahoma City game or every Chicago or New York game, but when people talk about a catch-and-shoot guy, they sort of have this idea in their mind that he's standing in the corner waiting to catch and shoot. And that can sometimes be the case, but if you watch what Doug does in our offense – there's a lot of great weak side action, and he's really good at setting his man up. And so I just flat asked him after the 20-point game he had uh, in Dallas the other night. I was like, have you ever been used like this? He said, no, I never have. And whenever we played Dallas teams, I got jealous because I saw the stuff that they ran, and I thought I would thrive in the system. And that's a great example of what you're talking about with coaching really making a difference. It's not a knock on other coaches. It's just Rick sees something that he can utilize here, and he's doing it pretty much instantly. Absolutely. And, you know, I think, Skin, we've we've seen enough of the, the really – great shooters, the great off-guards, they're not just standing there catching the ball 
and shooting it. Right. They, they do a great job of, of running off screens and, and running that curl as tightly as they can so they can run their guy into that screen. Right. And when you have a guy like McDermott who clearly can shoot it, all he needs is a little bit of space. Right. He doesn't need a lot of space to get rid of his shot. Now, I will say the one team that did a great job against him was Houston. I mean, Houston gave him no room mm-hmm. coming off those screens, mm-hmm. and, he, and he struggled as a result of that. But there aren't many teams in the NBA who, that I've seen that, that have done as good a job, not just against McDermott, but just in general, of, come, of playing guys who, who are running floppies or you know, just coming off of different types of actions that, uh, that don't give up the space to shooters the, the way that, uh, you know, that Houston did not do that the other night. Well, and that's part of – you know, down this stretch, the last 15 or so games of the season, maybe the Mavericks put McDermott in situations where they're asking him to do things off the dribble against hard closeouts. You know, like those are kind of the the tips and tricks that you want these guys to pick up now that they're getting more minutes down the stretch. Guys like McDermott, guys like Farrell, who have really good three-point shots, but, you know, now can use this as an opportunity to kind of develop those other aspects of their game. No question. And, you know, People who are, you know, who are just frothing at the mouth over the idea of the Mavericks having won three of their last four games and are four and six since the All-Star break, uh, you know, they're looking for, uh, you know, to play players, you know, 12 through 17 and play them 35 minutes a game. That, that's just not going to happen. It doesn't happen in an NBA game. Now, you might finish the game occasionally, like uh, the Bulls and Grizzlies tried to do last night, which was really comical hmm. and, frankly, I think embarrassing to the league. Hmm. But, no, you know what? Harrison Barnes is still going to get his minutes, yeah. and he's still going to get his touches because, you know what? The Mavericks still need Harrison Barnes to develop and be a better player than he is right now. Right. And they need Doug McDermott to be better, and they need Yogi Ferrell to be better, or, or at least find out whether Yogi Ferrell is a, is a long-term backup point guard here, or do they have to go in a different direction? I mean, there's a lot of really important stuff that's going on here with guys who are a little higher up on the food chain that, uh, that the Mavericks need answers for that, uh, that just don't qualify under uh, the, the guidelines that uh, others would set for them. Yeah, I, I personally think taking the approach of not developing your good young players for the chance of what may or may not be a different percentage point of what may or may not be a good player in the future is counterintuitive. I think that's a bad way to team develop, but we can bang our heads on the wall against that all day long. I want to know, Coop, am I uh, one of the real disappointments for me is that an undrafted guy that played 81 games last year ended up missing the vast majority of the season, and Dorian Finney-Smith's Shot mechanics look better than me. I love his body. It's active. I think the Mavericks have a, an actual role player here. What would you say is the the ceiling or the developmental track for a guy like Dorian Finney-Smith? Well, well, real quick, Coop, sorry. Think, sorry. Coop is going to be very Dorian biased Finney-Smith here. Finney-Smith could be uh, our version of Andre Robertson uh-huh. with a little bit better offense. Uh, because because clearly uh, he has shown the ability to guard multiple positions. Right. He's a really good defender. You know, you, you talk to the Mavericks coaches, and and they say when it comes to defense, like he's never out of position. He always knows the right play to make on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, but I think for Dorian Finney-Smith to be an effective player for the Mavericks, the Mavericks have to be able to put more more shooting around him, more scoring around him. You know, Dennis. Now, Dennis can score, but you know, obviously, Dennis has not been a very efficient player this year. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, Harrison Barnes, I, I, I still believe, can be a better shooter, a better 
percentage shooter than he is. Does it surprise you that he's only shooting 34.5% from three? It surprises me mm-hmm. yeah. he, because his shot always looks good leaving his hand. And also but, the type of looks he's getting, they're pretty good looks. They're clean looks. So exactly. I, I would expect so, it to go on. You know, I, I just think if, if Dorian Finney-Smith has to play with scores around him, and if, if the Mavericks can find those players – then I, I do think that there is real value in having a, a multiple defender who has the potential to be, you know, the, the three and D guy that uh, that a lot of teams want. So I'm, um, you know, again, 15 games to go in the season, or however many that's left here. Uh, you know, there are a couple of back to backs. I mean, if he plays tonight, and I think he's going to play tonight against Toronto. You know, does he play tomorrow night against Brooklyn? I mean, I'd love to see him. You know, try to play through that because I think you know any moments he gets on the floor are really important moments. We know Coop is going to be biased when he's talking about one of his Florida Gators. We know that is going to be the case. Um, One lineup that they used against, I believe this is in the Memphis game last weekend, they were rolling out the trio of Finney Smith, Harrison Barnes, and Doug McDermott all playing on the same floor, or all playing on the floor at the same time with either Dennis or Yogi at point guard and then a a true center, either Nerlens or Powell at center. And that was something that really intrigued me and kind of caught my eye because then you have Three six foot eight wings who can all guard, you know, at least two positions each. In Finney Smith's case, he can guard like four. And uh, then you have an athlete at one, and you have an athlete at five. And I thought that was really kind of our our most concrete, uh, firmest glimpse at kind of maybe what this team's plan is going to be in the future when it comes to roster building. Is just like getting a bunch of guys who are six seven six eight, long arms, can defend multiple positions, and then at the other end can all spread the floor, can all shoot. Well, look. You know, that's the Golden State model. That's what Golden State does. Everybody's trying to be Golden State. The problem is not, not, no one has Golden State's players, although a lot of those players are hurt right now. I mean, I'm looking at their roster the other night uh, for, their, for their game against the Lakers, and they're starting Quinn Cook, former Maverick from last year, and Nick Young in the backcourt. <laughs> that doesn't look like the Warriors. But obviously they'll, they'll be able to go to the playoffs. But, yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's the way that everybody wants to play. I, I just wonder if everybody is just – that people need to be able to be adaptable to the, to the roster and the, and the talent that they have. I mean, I, I look at Toronto, you know, the team the Mavericks are playing tonight, and they play very similarly – uh, to the way that the 2011 Mavericks played. Hmm. There was always a center in their lineup, whether it's Valanciunas or Pirtle. I mean, there was always a five in their lineup, just as Tyson Chandler and Brendan Haywood were always on the floor for the Mavericks. And, and I still think that that makes you know, a, a tremendous amount of difference. And they're not necessarily big you know, when they put Van Vliet in the game as, as a point guard, but you know, I mean, they, they do have some requisite size. And you know, DeRozan's a big two at 6'7". Um, and uh, you know, Ibaka is, is the correct size four at 6'9". At, at uh, and, that, and that's where the Mavericks have to get to. I mean, they, they definitely have to get bigger. There's, there's just no question about that. Uh, you know, any time that Harrison Barnes is playing the four, it, it, I think is a, is a major problem for the Mavericks just on the defensive end of the floor. And, and that's something that they you know, have to really work hard at from a personnel standpoint to try to get solved. You know, Coop, I don't think Barnes at the four would be that big of a problem if your center was DeAndre Ayton or Mo Bamba. <laughs> that might be the transition here. Before we start talking about some of those guys, uh, I'm disappointed that Ayton's already out of the tournament. 
Uh, you know, I wanted to watch him go a little further, but you know, we're one day into the action. By the time folks are listening to this, probably be a couple days into the action. But what is something that is standing out to you looking at the NCAA tournament while you're calling NBA games? I know you're a college basketball nut. What are some of the things that you're looking for in this tournament? Well, I mean, I guess from an NBA standpoint, the frustrating thing is is that it it really isn't about the players in the NCAA tournament as much as it is about the team, mm-hmm. and and really it's about the guard play in the NCAA tournament. And yet, you look at the draft, and this draft is dominated by bigs, right. by fours and fives, right? And so, uh, it's it's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out. Now, for instance, on Saturday in the second round, uh, you've got Alabama and Colin Sexton playing against Villanova and Jay Wright, who's you know, just such a great developer of guards at the college level. They, they haven't necessarily all made their way to the NBA and been incredibly successful. Kyle Lowry's the best of that lot. Uh, but you know, they, you got Jalen Brunson there who may very well be the National Player of the Year, even though he'll probably be uh, you know, a, a low first-round, high second-round pick uh, in the NBA draft. Uh, but the things that, you know, that I want to see, frankly, uh, at this point I'm hoping Duke hangs around as long as they can because uh, I really want a closer look, not just at Marvin Bagley, who everybody talks about, but at Wendell Carter, who I think might be a, an even more versatile player than, than Bagley is, even if he is not quite as athletic right. as Bagley is. Right. Uh, you know, to me, Wendell Carter reminds me a lot of Al Horford. Uh, if mm. the Mavericks drafted Al Horford, I think I'd be really happy. I think I would be too, man. Hey, he certainly Carter's certainly much more defensive minded than Bagley. That's the knock on Bagley yeah. is he and, he you know, drifts. He's a shot blocker and and he's a he's a very good rebounder and uh, you know and he and he doesn't play as many minutes. You know a lot of times you know they've and they've changed too because they're playing a lot of zone now. Uh, really because Bagley can't guard anyone, right. which is you know I think the NBA people are you know. I think they'll accept the fact of his athleticism and hope that they can teach him to play defense at the next level. Um, but but Carter guards, he can block shots, defends the rim. He's got a nice face-up out to 15, 18 feet that you have to believe, uh, you know, as he gets older and stronger, that uh, you'll be able to move him back uh, and uh, be able to spread the floor the way teams want to use their fives. I mean, he, he's, a, he's a really interesting guy to me. You know, uh, look, I, I love Mo Bamba in Texas. I mean, look, I'm a fan of the big man anyway. I'm, I'm with you. Big man. I I'm believe with you. that there is a place for that player, uh, even in this NBA. And I think teams that have that player are better off than teams that don't have that player. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm taken by Bamba and his improvement at this level and, and a belief that he's a more advanced Rudy Gobert. Yes. Uh, you know, now whether he ultimately becomes that player, I don't, you know, no one knows. No, no right. one knows. Right. But, but I really like him. You know, I like him a bunch. And obviously, you know, listen, we, we all hope that the Mavericks can get lucky on May 15th, and DeAndre Ayton is the guy. Yeah. Because if DeAndre Ayton is the guy, you are going to be better immediately. Yeah, and it's real interesting because Ayton obviously looks way more polished, but this is the whole thing, you know, and I, people are paying more attention to this because they think the Mavericks will have a top 10 pick, maybe even a top 5 pick. We'll see how it goes. But I'm telling everyone, it's like, man, do not freak out over watching a 19-year-old. I mean, we are light years away from what they're going to be. And the second well, yeah, that Mo Bamba... Remind people that Tim Duncan is not walking through that door. Right. Okay. Tim Duncan was a four-year, completely polished player. Right. By the time he he walked in to the San Antonio Spurs, and oh by the way, you know the, the closest Tim Duncan I think ever got uh, to the Final Four was the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah. I don't even think he ever got to an Elite Eight. 
so, you know, the fact that he didn't advance really, you know, all that far in the tournament, uh, it obviously didn't affect how the NBA felt about him, and obviously they were correct about that. Uh, and that's, but, but DeAndre Ayton is not Tim Duncan. And Mo Bamba and Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter, uh, you know, all, all of these bigs, are, they are not that player yeah. coming in here. You know, it's funny, too, is we always do these projections, but it's because of Bagley's ease with which he scores but his lack of defense, the other night we saw a one-time top-of-the-draft guy in Michael Beasley who just lit up the first half. And there was part of Bagley's game that kind of reminded me of maybe a little Absolutely. bit. Big, yeah, he's kind of Beasley-like. Uh, beyond, and, beyond the fact that he's, he's lefty. Right. And, uh, but, but Beasley Beasley was a better scorer. I mean, yeah. Beasley was a better scorer than Kevin Durant in college. He was unbelievable. He, he, he was unbelievable. He was unbelievable. He was a machine. And he, not only could he score, he could rebound, he could get off his feet. And, look, you know, a lot of things happened in Michael Beasley's life that, that prevented him from being the player that he should have been. And I, don't, and I have no idea if Marvin Bagley is that, play, that guy or not. I don't think he is from mm-hmm. all the indications uh, uh, that, that I've seen and, and read about. But, you know, he's got a lot of things to learn, not the least of which is how to go to his right. Yeah. I mean, you, if, if teams on the, on the pro level, on the NBA level, they will take away his left hand. Yeah. They will make him try to do things he doesn't want to do. Uh, he can get away with it at the college level because he's that much better than everybody else. And how quickly he is adaptable at the NBA level is ultimately going to determine his success. How open he is to being developed, too, because we're looking at 19-year-old guys going, can we develop this talent? That's what the game is all about. When no question. Coop, we appreciate your time, man. Have an awesome call tonight in Toronto and tomorrow night in Brooklyn, and we will catch up with you when you get back to town, Thank brother. you, Coop. Always like talking to guys in white lab coats and glasses. Hey, <laughs> we're in the lab, baby. Awesome. There he goes, the mighty Chuck Cooperstein. The great Chuck Cooperstein. That was good stuff, Skin. Absolutely. Man, man, he is, He is. you said it right, his passion for basketball, pro and college. I don't know if our, a lot of our listeners may have never heard him call a college game. Oh, man. It's unbelievable. You should just the see, passion is so there. Even when he's in just the media dining watching a game on TV. Yeah. I mean, this guy gets excited for pros basketball. Don't get me wrong, but it's another level. Kind of as it should be. That's part of the draw of college basketball and college yeah. sports in general. Is just like people get really, really, really into it. For sure. You can almost see sparks coming out of his ears when he's talking. Yeah, for sure. You could feel the flames through the phone. Right. Uh, one thing that he said and, and that you guys were talking about for a second that really kind of caught my ear was, you know, whenever you're talking about players that are in college – these guys are, are raw. They're very young. They have a lot of developing to do, like, for example, learning how to go right, learning how to go left. Like, these are very fundamental things, but you just have to pick them up over time. You, just, mm-hmm. you, don't, you don't just possess those skills. You have to learn them. And uh, obviously it made me think about Dennis Smith Jr., but I feel like in this space we've talked about him a lot. One guy we really haven't talked about at all this season because he you know, has been in and out of the rotation and then he was hurt for several months. He missed three or four months of action was Nerlens Noel, who mm-hmm. – were he to have stayed at Kentucky for four years, would only be like in his first or second pro season. I mean, this guy's still extremely young, only 23 years old. Uh, he came back to action, I want to say, about two weeks ago. What have you thought about kind of the way he's played, where his game is at, and all that stuff as kind of we've reached this home stretch of the season? He's jumped off the screen to me. Or if I'm at the game, he's jumped into my lap. So the things that he does and he does well, you know, there, he can be a frustrating player. Um, because sometimes he's not as fully engaged as he should be. And when he is engaged, you see how he can impact the game. Um, the thing that's really fun is, so while he was gone, Dwight Powell developed into this really great role guy. And then he came back, 
And he, and I thought the first minute he played after missing the majority of the season was as good a minute as I've seen him play. Play like his pants were on fire, man. He, and that's how he has to play. Yeah. Because he doesn't have the wide base, so he can get pushed around. The way that he negates that is with high energy and activity level. And the other thing, too, and he and he's still playing, you know, with a, a jacked-up hand, so he's not, like, catching the ball great. But even in this short window, you've seen what a great passer he is. Yes. He is an excellent passer. He sees the floor. He has a very high basketball IQ. So, uh, I, you know, I, 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 I try to put myself in his position, and I think he got bad advice, or maybe it was his own sort of attitude and he didn't listen to others. I don't know the answer to that. I do know that he is a great kid, and I enjoy being around him. And I can call him a kid because I'm twice his age, okay? <laughs> he's only 23, man. He's right. a kid to me. Right. So uh, he is, he's a, and he's got a fun personality, and I think if you follow Dennis – on Instagram, you'll see he's been posting pictures of him and Nerlens hanging out. Yep. Dennis and Dorian and Nerlens are all thick as thieves, right? And they get along great. And he, you know, I think people from the outside go, "Oh my God, he's got a bad attitude, dude." Everyone in the organization likes him personally a lot. Yeah, for I've sure. ne- I've never found one person that says, "Oh, that guy." Never. Mm-hmm. So the question is, is he going to embrace his role with the highest of energy? I know if I was his age. And I walked away from $70 million or whatever it was. I would have a hard time getting over that. I see him and I'm like, God, he seems to have such a great attitude. So I think it's hard for him to recoup his value in a 20-game window or whatever, how many games he's going to play. So I look at it as an opportunity where he can come back and he can really show who he is and hopefully be a part of this organization like we thought when we made the trade with Philly last trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm still very bullish on Nerland's Noel. I still believe in him, and I still believe in him as a Maverick. We'll see. Off-seasons are crazy. Heck, we're two days or one day removed from the NFL free agency period starting, and it's just bonkers what teams do. Mm. So maybe a team comes in, and and it's a situation in New Orleans leaves. That could possibly happen. But I look at him as a guy that we can still develop. I look at him as a guy that can get way better, and I look at him as a – guy that's got a, defi- a defined NBA role as a modern big that defends and is active and gets tips and rolls to the rim. I mean, they go, even him just crashing the glass and keeping balls alive, that stuff matters. It matters for your transition defense. Yeah, for sure. If one guy can tip a ball, it gives the guards an extra second to get back in transition. So just even all these little things he does absolutely matter and stack up. And I personally like the player I love the dude, and I hope he's here long term. Yeah, for sure. And and one thing that you were talking about, Dwight Powell, too, becoming this really good uh, role man in the pick and roll, part of that is because he's just had like three years of experience playing with J.J. with right. backups. So like right. he's got so much familiarity with things like timing, uh, what kind of angle J.J. wants to take, does he like going right, left, if he's on the right wing, where you want to send him, all this stuff that you just pick up from just spending years and 82 games playing with these guys. Unfortunately for Nerlens, you know, this was supposed to be the year for him where he's developing that with Dennis. You right, know? right. This 20-year-old point guard, this 23-year-old center. Man, we've got two athletic super freaks at their position. And Dennis wanted that. And Dennis wanted, Dennis it, wanted yeah, that. For sure, Dennis yeah. wanted that. Uh, you could just see the excitement in both of those guys' eyes during training camp. You know, it's like, man, think of the possibilities. Dennis can jump even higher than Nerlens. Like, it's incredible. Right, but, right. Um, you know, unfortunately, injuries and all that stuff kind of you know, put that on the back burner, but now we're starting to see those two get on the floor. And one group that they played against the Knicks in that game and at a Madison Square Garden a few nights ago, they went on that huge run in the in the third quarter. They went on a 19-0 run, and Dennis and Nerlens were on the floor together for most of that, if mm-hmm. not all of it. Mm-hmm. And they were just, you have two athletes. And, and you know, Dennis, 
Defensively, I think he still has a lot to learn what 20-year-old doesn't. Nerland's defensively has a lot to learn what 23-year-old doesn't. That's part of development. But you see these guys as just raw abilities, their instincts, their ability to get up and down the floor, score points in transition, do all that stuff. And you think, like, man, if 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 you can make this work and if you can make this work long term, then there's potential. You have, you have a pretty good foundation. If they do get lucky enough to get a top five pick and they are in a situation where they can keep Nerland's and they can keep McDermott, and d- which I th- you think they got I think they, they have to want to do that. I think they, they can with McDermott. And sure. then you look at the jump that a guy as talented as Dennis will presumably make from year one to year two. When you start kind of adding that up on your hand, you're going to have five lottery picks, twenty six and under, and you're still. I think Dirk's coming back. We'll see. You're still going to have Dirk. You're still going to have JJ. A you developing. Got uh, you got Powell. A developing Dorian. Hopefully I, Seth Curry. I, hopefully Seth Curry. And I think just like Nerland's situation, it makes sense for him to come back for one year and see if he can. So and then Wesley's back for a year, and I start to look at all that, and I know everyone's oh you're Mav Homer nerd. I'm sorry if that team is healthy. And it's all kept together and grows. I think it competes for the eight spot next year. Could man, it could. I mean, a lot of things have to go right. Obviously, of you have course. to stay healthy. Everyone has to get better. But I mean, that's part of the beauty of having a roster full of people that are younger than me. Man, is yeah. like generally twenty five year olds get better at their job. Yeah, like twenty two year olds get better at their job just with time. It's natural. As the great Michael Jordan said, the ceiling is the roof. Exactly. I mean, right? Yeah. Am I right? The ceiling, dude. The ceiling is totally the roof. It totally. Yeah. Speaking of the roof, man, we're on the what floor here? This is floor the Great City 11. Dallas? This is floor 11 in the, uh, I think they still call this the CBS building, but we were bought by Intercom. And we can see, if you look, can you look through the studio there so you can see downtown? It looks beautiful. Yeah, and then we look out to my left and we're looking at traffic on 75, which is not as beautiful. Not as beautiful. Uh, well, no, now normally you guys will broadcast in yeah, the next we're, room over. we're in the they, next room and uh, and that's where the magic happens. It's got to be pretty great to be able to do your job and just look out and see this beautiful city of ours. It's pretty awesome, dude. I'm, I'm a lucky dude. And sometimes, uh, like right around 540, I'll get in my car and just drive over to the AAC and get to call a Mav game. Dude. That's fun. That is the dream. That's sometimes the dream. you get to do it at MSG, man. Sometimes it happens at MSG. Yeah. I was there. I, I got up on Tuesday morning at, I think, 5, flew to New York, Got in my hotel at noon, was at Madison Square Garden at 5.15, did the game, got up at 4.45 New York time, Ooh. flew back here and did a radio show. Wow. And it was totally worth it. Iron Man. Was it, that your first time at Madison Square Garden? No, it was my first time to call a game there. Okay. I was there one time for a boxing match back when I worked for the ticket. And then a couple of years ago, I was on a Maverick road trip where we did Philly on Friday night, and I did that game. And then we came to New York, but the New York game was a national game. Okay. So ABC carried it. So we were just, you know, watching the game. It was cool. They had Harp sitting on the baseline, and they gave him the, the all the love that he gets when he goes. And he was sitting on the baseline next to Mike D of the Beastie Boys. Oh, nice. Yeah, so two of my all-time favorites from the 80s sitting right there next to each other. It was really yeah. cool. In that building, too. In that must building. Be special. Yeah. yeah, well, Skin, this was fun. I appreciate you having me in here. For sure, this man. Was, uh, Let's do it again. This was a royal treatment over here. Right on. Yeah. And uh, next time we numbers on the boards, who knows who our next guest will be, but thank you to Chuck Cooperstein. He was awesome. Yeah, thank you again to Coop. Uh, make sure you guys, well, you might hear this before the game tonight, so make sure you tune in for that. If it's in the future, make sure you tune in for tonight's game against Brooklyn. Yeah. And if it's even further in the future, just keep watching the team, man. you got a lot of stuff to watch down the stretch of the season. It's exciting. Indeed. We're going to have fun. So thank you for listening to Numbers on the Boards. Thank you for being a Mav fan. Onward and upward. Baby. Yeah, we out. Yeah.